good morning. Everybody okay? This is new, isn't it? It's exciting. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Psalm 127. Thank you, Scott, Kevin, all of the, the band, everybody that's come into this and put this worship together. I am looking forward today to preaching God's Word. I'm going to have to do it three times, and that's exciting to me. Some of y'all may ask, that sounds like this is life-giving and exciting to me. I may die after it's over. But... I am excited about it, and I have to watch myself for singing. I was over there singing, and I could already feel my throat saying, you need to hold up. But uh, we're going to look at God's Word together this morning, Psalm 127. I want us to uh, put into context before I read this, this passage, I mentioned last week that we're going to start a series looking at Acts And we're going to look through uh, this semester, really, right up until Thanksgiving, look through the first four into the fifth chapter of Acts. But we're going to start the series by introduction in Psalm 127. I hope that makes sense to you. Hopefully it will uh, after we look at it this morning. We're going to begin here. Psalm 127 is a part of the collection of the Songs of Ascent. The songs of ascent are when Israel were in captivity and bondage in in Babylon, and now they're coming back. They're ascending back to Jerusalem, looking to rebuild the temple, rebuild God's house. And so Psalm 127, really, uh, those songs of ascent are from 120 to 134. Psalm 127 is the middle one kind of the apex of the songs of ascent, really. And as they're going back to build the house, as they're going back to build the house of God, this is the psalm they put here, a song of Solomon who had already passed away but had written this, and they felt like this was the right place to put it in the midst of the psalms. Psalm 127 verse 1 is all I'm going to read right now, but it simply says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us and allowing us this privilege of being here this morning. God, I thank you for all that are here, how they have come out, how they have filled this room already with their praises and with their presence. God, we thank you for the message that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, God, may we be faithful in whatever context, whatever place, whatever type of service we may may put together here at Taylor's First. May we be careful to give you all the glory and all the praise and recognize that it's only upon the rock of Jesus Christ that we can seek to build your church. And so, Father, do something now through the preaching of your word in the hearts of your people for the glory of your name. We ask all of this in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. On May 1st of this year, we had uh, what we called Vision Sunday. Now, I'm going to do my best. Uh, We uh, have got the chairs in here, so I'm going to try to connect with all of y'all, okay? But I probably will forget about some of you. But we're, we had what was called Vision Sunday, and in that Vision Sunday, we laid out a vision for where we wanted to go as a church. We gave that idea that our great mission is simple, according to God's word, change the world for Jesus. Simply, that's it. 
Everything we do, we should understand in that context to change the world for Jesus Christ. And in doing that, you've seen some of our, our ways of, of, of doing it. We have our, our ease, if you will. We want you to encounter God here at Taylor's First. We want to equip believers. We want to engage the world. And on that, on that May 1st Sunday, I added a fourth E. We want to establish the church. The primary way of us multiplying, we recognize not to stay stagnant as a body, but to multiply. The primary way for that is that we would establish other churches, plant more churches, if you will. And then I said in order to establish the church, we need three R's, renovation. One of the main reasons we are in here is because we're renovating our fellowship hall, our space. We, we hope that this room would bust with people. We know that there's going to be more people probably that want to get here. And you need to get here early to get your seat. Or if not, you'll be right here on the front where Gary and Jess are. You need to get here early to get that because I do believe this room will be full every week and we look forward to when we can move into that fellowship hall as they're working on that, renovating it, bringing it up to date. I'm thankful for that. We also talked about establishing a residency and that is in process even now. In fact, we're in the final stages of planning, hoping that will begin at the first of this coming year. The reason for that is if we want to plant more churches, we need to be training more ministers to send them out in doing this. And finally, we talked about replication. It's the reason why we're in this room right now, recognizing that we need to be doing what we want to reproduce. And this, this service kind of represents that as a band-led service that, that is more mobile and can be sent out and do things in different places. And so what we wanted to do is, is represent those things. If we're going to establish the church, we have to change some things in order to do this. And so this Sunday represents that change. If you talk to anybody on our team or our staff, you'll recognize that, that almost a year, really about nine months, we have had this date circled on our calendar as the date that we begin this process to do these things. And I just want to say how thankful I am for our team and our staff as they have done incredible work. As you can see, uh, even walking in, making sure this process is as easy. There is uh, uh, nothing that has gone unthought of. You you may see something that we need to improve on, by all means, tell us, but tell us gently. We've been working hard at this. And so we want to do those things and, and we recognize it. So we're thankful. I'm thankful for, for them and all that they've done. They even ordered 41 dozen donuts today. So if you don't get three or four donuts, then it's your fault. And this is available for you in some place or somewhere. We're thankful for all of this. And that's why today we begin a series of sermons from Acts by going to Psalm 127. All that we do here as a church, we want to make sure that we do it with God as the builder. Notice what the psalmist says. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house. Now, we understand house here, and we recognize it. We seek a house or household, and, and we point that toward the church itself. So you'll hear me use that kind of language even today. As Paul points out to Timothy when he's encouraging Timothy, who Paul is not going to be with him for long, and Paul encourages Timothy, he said, this is how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, he says to Timothy in chapter 3. 
The household of God is the church of God. And so ultimately we we recognize that imagery as God is building his house. He's talking about building his church, Paul says. And so you should do this in light of the church. And what is the church? We recognize the church is not a building or a structure. You've heard that many times. We use that language and it's okay. You can continue to do that. That's fine. As long as you remember that the church are a people, a people born again by their profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And those people have been brought together, covenanted together by promise that they would join together in this place at this local body, Taylor's First Baptist. That's what we are. Born again, believing and trusting in Christ Jesus with the Spirit of God living and indwelling in us, we have decided to gather in this place in Taylor's, South Carolina, as Taylor's First Baptist Church. It's us. We are the church. And in this way, God is building us together. Not a building, but a people. And Taylor's First Baptist is one of those local churches that is this expression of what God is doing in the world. We see it here. And we want the Lord here to build us into the church he would have us to be. We want him to build us. We want him to shape us and to form us. Because as we understand from Psalm 127, what we understand and what we see here is it is quite possible that we could build this church without God. That's the point he's saying. It's possible for you to go back and for you to do these things. It's quite possible that you could build this church and have what you call and the world calls and even other churches call success and not have God as the builder. Just as I scan the books on my bookshelf in my my office, there's reveals several titles about how our church or any church ought to look. Let me give you some of the titles. This is just two shelves in my office. There's titles. Here's some titles. Comeback churches, political churches, emerging church, creedal church, sending church, simple church, vintage church, healthy church, the compelling church, the deliberate church, the free church, the living church, the biblical foundations for the church, contending for the church, and finally, of course, the one we all want, the church Christ approves. In other words, I can go through that list and name many more of how many books have been written about what a church should look like and what it's healthy and and what you should be. And you can go through all of these titles. And all of these, of course, are seeking to be helpful, trying to keep us focused on the right thing. Because building a church without the Lord is building a church that lost or has lost its focus. It's lost its focus. The church can become oftentimes distracted. Distracted by the culture in some ways. And when we become distracted by the culture, we end up looking like the culture. A church that is distracted and not focused on what we are to be and who we are to be, we begin to look like those around us, the world that surrounds us. This church that is distracted, focusing on the culture, moves with whichever way the culture comes. They're not anchored in anything. Their desire is to please culture and look like the world because they become distracted from the truth. But there's all kind of other ways that we can lose building our church, focusing on God. We can become distracted and look like the culture. We may seek to become too attractional. The attractional church where we're just trying to be attractive to the world, bringing it in. 
wanting to attract the crowd. And so in order to attract the crowd, we do whatever it may take. We do whatever we need to do to bring them in. We, we tell you that, that we're going to have this or we're going to have that in order to bring people into the crowd. I'll tell you that the pastor is going to preach this week in a tutu or something. Just seeing if y'all are awake. It's 8.30 service. But we'll do whatever it takes to bring them in. And in oftentimes doing this, we remain surface level. The attractional church that is just simply to bring in the crowd doesn't deal with the hard stuff oftentimes. Their tendency is not to speak about the difficult things. Their tendency is not to call for repentance because who wants to talk about sin, right? If you talk about the hard things, then they may not come back next week. If you talk about the difficult things, they may not enter back in. So in order to be attractive to the world, we have to keep it surface level. Oftentimes we seek to build it this way. But not only that, we can be distracted, we can be attractional, but the church may also focus on personality. It can build itself up based upon the personality of a dynamic preacher or a dynamic leadership. It can build itself up based upon the personality of one who may have incredible gifts and incredible talents of speaking and whatever else. And so when we talk about the church, we don't speak about what God is doing there. We speak about that guy preaching that word. We, we lift them up in such a way that that's how we build it. That's how we do it. We can, we can become distracted and look like the culture and try to, try to in that way to, to draw in an attractive crowd where we deal with surface level and we can have the best gifts and talents on the stage before you. We can do all of those things and people will come. People will come. And those are just some of the ways churches lose focus and what they're supposed to be doing. And any of these can look, to seem, look like seeming success. Because success looks like a full church or, or things going on and things happening. Any of those can look like that. But I have two fears for our church. Two fears. Not necessarily, hopefully we don't become distracted and try to look like the culture. Hopefully we don't remain surface level and just simply try to be attractive to anybody and everybody that wants to come. And surely we're not built upon personality. But at the same time, I still have two fears. My first fear is that God can be working and we don't even know it. My fear is that God can be doing something in our midst and we become blind to the working and the power of God. Not looking for it, not hoping in it, not trying to trust in it, not seeking it. My fear is that we could be, we could be trying to build our church and God could be doing something and we're blind to what he's doing. We go off and do our own thing. We go off and do what we think's right, but God is doing something great and we're blind to it. Blind to God's prompting and moving. And my second fear may be even greater. That we're working to build this place and we act as if we don't need God's help or assistance. That we think whatever system or whatever structure or whatever routine that we put into place is all that we need. That we think we can make this place into what God would want it to be without him. That we could build this place without who God is. So either we become blind to God's moving or we become self-sufficient thinking we can do it on our own. Thinking we can do it on our, phone, on our own. And in doing these things, we can work ourselves to death. I'm not really afraid of being lazy because, because that's what we do. We try to, try to draw it in. But look at what the psalmist, if you have your Bible still open, Psalm 127. Look at what he says. It is in vain, in verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating bread of anxious toil. In other words, you're trying to build this church. 
You're trying to build this church and you're working yourself to death. Getting up early. I'm not talking about this morning, by the way. But you're getting up early and you're going to bed late and you're working yourself to death and you can't even eat without stressing out. You're trying to do all of this stuff. And, and, and what I can tell you is even in my own phone directory in my pocket, it is littered with pastors and leaders who have tried to do God's work in building the church in their own strength and in their own power, and they're not doing it anymore because they couldn't take it. Because the, the stress is too great and the worry is too great. I'm not talking about laziness. I'm talking about working, working and toiling for something. Working and toiling for something. But what does verse 1 say? If you, unless God builds the church, those who build it labor in vain. Unless God does it, it's in vain. I mean, y'all know what vain means, right? Unless God does it, it's useless, is what he's saying. All the work you could put into it, all that you could try to do, all that you could bring about, unless God does it, it is useless, he says. There's no worse word in the English language than useless, right? Just think about it. If something's useless, it has no value whatsoever. If something's useless, it cannot accomplish what you're hoping for it to accomplish. If something's useless, it's to be thrown out even as the gospel say. And what the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds his house, it is being built in vain. It's useless. I said this before, and I mean it right now. My fear in what we do here is not failure. My fear in what we do here is not failure. We oftentimes do things out of fear of failure. And because we do things out of fear of failure, we never truly try God for who he is and what he can accomplish. My fear is not failure. My fear is success. Success in things that do not matter at all. That's my fear. Success in stuff that really doesn't matter. That's useless, as the psalmist says. Who wants to be successful at stuff that's useless? And what I believe as we gather in this place that the message of the gospel that what we sing and what we proclaim is the greatest message that the world needs. It's its only hope. And so there is nothing useless about proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. The only way we make it useless is when we seek to do it in our own self-sufficiency and our own blindness to who God is and what he can accomplish. And the psalmist says, to do that, to build it yourself and not trust the Lord is to do it in vain. I never want to build a church in my own strength. I can't. None of us can. That's the whole point. Or in any way other than absolute dependence on the Lord and his might and his power. So what we see here is that there are ways that we can build the church without the Lord. But what we want to know secondly is that the Lord will build his church. The Lord will build his church. Now, if you've been around me for a little bit and been here, you'll know one of my favorite movies in the world is Hoosiers, right? Y'all know Hoosiers. Everybody know Hoosiers? I saw this. There's a new uh, game show on. It's called Generation Gap. Have y'all seen that? It's where you got like a grandma and a kid and they're trying to 
figure out what's what? Hoosiers, 1980s movie. Hoosiers is a movie about, about a basketball team in a small little high school in Indiana, Hickory in Indiana. In Indiana, all of the teams from the smallest to the largest are in the same tournament at the end of the year to win the state championship. Best team in the state, no matter how big you are. Gene Hackman plays Norman Dale, the coach of this small town high school in Hickory, Indiana. Coach Dale leads this little team all the way to the state finals. All the way to the state finals. They've been playing in these small little gyms their whole high, uh, the whole year, you know, maybe a couple hundred in the gym, small and tiny. But when it gets to the state finals, they arrive before anybody else does at Butler Fieldhouse. Been playing in front of 150, now they're arriving in a place that seats 15,000. And all these country bumpkin little boys who who playing basketball walk into the gym and start gawking at how big it is, right? They start gawking about how big this place is, the size of the arena. They're awestruck, they're intimidated by it. So Coach Dale does this incredible leadership tactic. He gets out his tape measure. He instructs his players to measure from the the goal to the free throw line. And he says, how long is that? 15 feet. And then he gets little Ollie up on strapped shoulders. And he says, measure from 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 the basket down to the floor. How far is that? 10 feet. And Coach Dale says, I believe you'll find that these are the exact same measurements as the gym back in Hickory. In other words, the players laugh, they they begin to relax. What he's saying is this, we know what we face is a monumental task here. We see the size of this place, the challenges before us. We see how big it is before us. And the world continues, even for us as a church, the world continues to move farther and farther from the truth. And oftentimes we can look out there at the task in front of us and we can gawk at it and we become intimidated. How can I reach this world? How can I truly change and transform this place? How can we as a church do this? Look around us. We got a room full today. We'll have, uh, we'll have many people on our campus, but when we look about all the people in our area, it's just a fraction. How can we accomplish what God has called us to accomplish? And like Normandale coming into What I want you to understand is no matter how big the task is and no matter how we gawk and sometimes become intimidated, what we need to realize is we are playing the same game we have always played. We're playing the same game we've always played. And when we face a world that's difficult, when we face challenges out there that sometimes are intimidating to us, we need to remember that we have to preach the same Bible we've always preached. And we have to have the same message, proclaim the same message, the same Jesus we've always proclaimed, and the same Lord that we've always exalted. No matter what, the game has not changed. Yes, it becomes intimidating. Yes, it becomes difficult, but the game has not changed. It's the same Bible, the same truth, the same Lord that we proclaim. Same one we exalt. And in doing this, the Lord will build his church. That's what we see in Acts. That's why, that's why I started here looking to Acts. The Lord will build his church through the witnesses that he sends out, go into all the world, Jerusalem, uh, Samaria, Judea, all the way throughout, go 
He'll build his church through the foundation of the apostles and their teaching. He will build his church through the power of the Spirit in chapter 2 and the work that it does. He will build his church through the proclamation of Christ, through the boldness of his people. He will build his church through the fellowship that they share one with another in encouragement. He will build his church so on and so on in Acts. We see how God builds his church. And we're going to look at all of those things and why each and every one of them are important over the next few weeks. But let us not miss the most important part of the building of the church this morning. Jesus, getting closer to the final days, knowing that the cross is coming, he begins to ask his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they begin to tell him, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Moses, some say you're a prophet. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter responds in the the right way here. You're the Messiah. You're the one who has come to redeem us and save us. And that brings in all, it's not just Peter just jumping at this conclusion. That brings in all that he knew in the scriptures of what the Messiah would do. You're that one. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, On this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. No doubt, years later, and after all that happened with Peter, y'all know the story, from denying him to seeing him raised to preaching in Acts chapter 2, building the church. After all that happened, Peter still surely had that moment ingrained in his head when he wrote in his first letter, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but the sight of God, in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. Peter's saying that one who is Christ is the living stone that is building us as he's building us together. Jesus is the cornerstone. It's not some some thing that we see. He says, as we build the house, Peter's saying, this one is the cornerstone. Jesus is it. If you're going to build the church, if the Lord is going to build his church, then the church must be built not just on the foundation of his word, but on the cornerstone, which is Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone. And in laying that cornerstone, it must be laid correctly. Because in laying it correctly, it sets the dimensions and the proportions for all the rest of the house. If the cornerstone is not laid well, the whole rest of the house will not be square. And so he says, Jesus is that cornerstone. He has been laid. He has been set. He's the one. If you're going to build his church, you're going to build it upon this one, Jesus Christ. First stone being laid. The one who has set it into motion. And unless you build it upon him, the whole place will be unstable. That's why what we seek to do as a church, building this church up in God's way, letting the Lord build his church, we say first and foremost that it's Christ Jesus that we proclaim. It's why we preach the cross. We don't shy away from it. It's why we don't shy away from his blood. Although it's not very keen to modern sensibilities here, the scripture says it's only through the blood of Christ that we can have salvation. 
We don't like to talk about stuff like that. That's hard. Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed and we got to be covered in his blood. If we're not covered in his blood, then we have no salvation and we have no life. We don't stop preaching about the blood. That's why we hold firm to his resurrection, believing that on the third day he rose again, proving everything he said and everything he ever did is true. We preach that. That's why we call people to repentance and faith to turn from their sins because we know that Jesus Christ can save them and redeem them from their sins. He can transform them from death into life. He can pull them out of darkness and bring them into his marvelous light. That's why we proclaim that. That's why we say, unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow him, you're not worthy of him. Don't shy away from the call to pursue after Christ by giving up, dying to self, That's why we don't hesitate to preach and hope in the return of Christ. And as the world looks at us and thinks we may be getting stranger and weirder, we preach even more so that we believe our Savior is going to split the sky wide open and come back for his people. And that's the hope we have and hope we profess. And it's upon that cornerstone, that truth, that his church will be built. And when you build it upon that cornerstone and that truth, you will not build it in vain. That's why we proclaim these things. Upon these truths, he will build his church. And as Peter says, he will build it one life at a time. That's what we're seeing here happening, right? God is building his church here at Taylor's First, one heart, one life at a time. Calling us out of darkness and saying, I didn't didn't call you out to leave you. I'm with you always. And look, I've given you a family to be together with. God is building this place up in such a way that if we stay faithful to his word, if we stay faithful to Christ Jesus and proclaim his truth, if we stay faithful to the blood, to the cross, if we stay faithful to the proclamation of repentance and faith, turning from sin and trusting to him, if we stay faithful in the hope that we have that he will return, what we can know is that he will build his church and we are not laboring in vain. I love how Psalm 127, verse 2 ends. It's in vain that you rise up unless you build it in churches. In vain you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. In other words, we work hard proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We work hard teaching the truths of his word. We work hard exalting the name of the Lord and trusting him as we are faithful to those truths, building upon that cornerstone, placing ourselves on that foundation. As we do that, the Lord will build his church. And I don't have to go to bed worried about what it'll look like tomorrow. I can sleep and I can sleep well knowing, knowing that God will build his church. God will do it. He gives his beloved rest. So what we're called to do is be faithful to the truth. Proclaim it, live it, and build our life upon it, especially our church. And God will build it. He will give us rest in it. The question becomes about us, right? God will build his church one stone at a time. And Peter says, you are those living stones. So today, is that you? 
Are you a part of the building of God of this place? Trusting him with your life and giving him everything. If you're not, you can be a part of this building here and what the Lord is doing by trusting in him one stone at a time as he put us together for the glory of his name. And if you are, this is not your first time, but you've been here a lot longer than me. Recognize what God is doing in your own life and how as we build Every brick and every stone of the building is necessary and vital to make the building sound and strong. We need everyone as the Lord builds this place. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. You are good to us in all that you've done. God, we need you. In fact, we're desperate for you. If we seek to do anything here, God, in our own strength and our own power, may you reprimand us and show us the foolishness of it even before we get started. And we trust you, God. Faithful to exalt Jesus Christ. Faithful to proclaim the word of God in each and every circumstance, no matter what it may look like to the world. Faithful, God. Faithful to preach that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So God, I pray everybody in this room, everybody in this room would have trusted in Christ Jesus for their salvation and for their life. And in trusting in them, recognize that God is using them to build his church. Build it here, Lord. We need you. We need you to do it. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and sing.